This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. When we read Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, I want you to notice something. I want you to be listening for questions because there are only nine verses, but guess how many questions are in those nine verses? There are six. Six questions in nine verses. Listen at, to the word of the Lord. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we praise your holy name and we thank you that you are for us, that you love us. Speak to our hearts today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As you sit down, uh, I want you to know that when I was just 17, year old, 17 years old, I preached for the first time. It was Youth Sunday. The young people took over the whole service of the church. And... I had butterflies. I was so nervous. People asked, well, now that you've been in the ministry for 40 years, do you still have butterflies when you preach? I say, yes, I do. But now they fly in formation. <laughs> so it's good to have a little bit of nervousness because you rely upon the Lord. Today's message is entitled, confident in Christ. Did you hear that phrase, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us? The word more than conquerors is hupo nikos, hypernikos, and it means far surpassing 
overcoming conqueror. Did you know that's who you are in Christ? Because Jesus loves you, you are a super overcomer. You can be confident in Christ. However, we're in a spiritual battle, aren't we? We're in spiritual warfare. And the place that Satan would love to attack is our minds and how we think about God. A seminary group of students was asked a simple question. Could you draw a picture of who God is to you? And the professor called one of the seminary students over to him the next class and said, I'd like to talk to you about your drawing. What is this? He said, when you asked us to draw a picture of who God is to us, I drew a picture of Ebenezer Scrooge. Because I feel that God is, is demanding of me and, and miserly towards me and uh, always critical. Isn't that the work of the devil? You see, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Do you believe that? So I came up with three diagnostic questions. I'm asking you this morning the question, how do you view God? And I have three questions here that I'd like you to see. How do you view God? Number one, what does God think about you? What do you think is God's estimation of you? Is it positive? Is it negative? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it favorable? Is it unfavorable? Right there, it reveals something about your view of God. Now, unfortunately, you could have had a negative authority figure in your life, and you're projecting that negative authority on who God is. Don't do that. Go by what the Bible says. Second question, how does God treat you? Do you feel that God's treating you uh, in a way that's loving and encouraging or in a way that is critical or punishing? That too reveals what you really think about God. There was a young man who said, I came across a verse, Zephaniah 3.17, and it says, God rejoices like a father over a child over me. And I had trouble accepting that because my father was very harsh on me. And I said, well, you have a choice. Are you going to believe your feelings and your past experiences or are you going to believe the word of God? If the Bible says God like a father is singing over you, he's rejoicing over you, take God at his word. Believe what he says about you. God loves you. God is for you. The third question is, what does God have for your future? When we think of that question, it reveals who we think of God. Are we waiting for the other shoe to drop? Things have been rough, we're okay, but what's going to happen next? What's God have? Let me just put it in a nutshell. When you and I go through a time of trial. That's when our faith is shaken and our view of God is revealed. Job 
lost his family. He lost his financial uh, means. He lost his housing. He lost even the support of his wife, who said, curse God and die. But he said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet I will love him. And so that's the time of testing. What do we believe in God in tough times? Paul is writing here to a church he's never been to, that church in Rome. This church has experienced uh, some persecution, and he is writing words of encouragement. Let's look at four or five questions that reveal the character of God. The first is this. God is our protector. Question in verse 31, who can be against us? Let's look at the full verse. It says in Romans 8.31, and here's the verse, what then shall we say in response to these things? If, if God is for us, who can be against us? All right, so that's uh, Romans 8.31. What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The if there is conditional, but it's not a negative, it's a positive. It's not saying, if maybe God is for us. It's saying, since God is for us, who can be against us? You and God are a majority. God is for you. God is not against you. God is not critical of you. God is not mean towards you. God is for you. He loves you. He supports you. He believes in you. He created you. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Do you believe that? God is for you. Therefore, who can be against you? God is our protector. To protect means that he watches over us. In Exodus chapter 14, the people of Israel were between a rock and a hard place. Because here's the Red Sea on this side, and here's the Egyptian army on this side. And they're stuck in the middle, between a rock and a hard place. But God was their guard in, their, in front of them. He was their guard behind them. He was their guard beside them. God is our protector. I'll never forget, I was a young pastor in Corona, California, and received a phone call that was very serious. On the message machine of the church was this message. Satan is alive and well, and you shall be destroyed. And it was said in the most evil voice I've ever heard. It was so upsetting, so scary, so serious that I called the police and they took that cassette tape of the voicemail as a record just in case something happens. Well, I told the congregation and my treasurer, who wasn't very spiritual, unlike Doug Robertson here, uh, he came alive. What? We've had a threat? And he tracked what was going to happen in the church. And within the next weeks and months, 
God blessed the church, did not, and it was not destroyed. If God be for us, who can be against us? All right. Next, God is our provider. The second question is, He will not give us, will He not give us all things? Romans 8.32. And let's read the whole verse of Romans 8.32. It says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Now here's the argument from the greater to the lesser. If God gave us the greatest gift of all time, that of His own Son, will He not kick in and throw in the rest that is so much less than that? Let's say you gave your kids or your grandkids a bicycle, and the bicycle had flat tires. Wouldn't you fill up the tires with air? Of course you would. That's lesser than what the sacrifice of buying the bike for your kid or grandkid. So God is for you, and he is your provider. This is pointing back to Abraham. Remember that Abraham was asked by God to sacrifice his son Isaac as a test of his faith. And when he was about to sacrifice Isaac, God told him to stop, and he provided a ram whose horns were stuck in the thicket. Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. God provides. If he gave this much, his all, his one and only son, will he not give everything with him? Back in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it captures this, this spirit. It says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? There again, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through Jesus Christ our Lord. The third thing we learn about God is God is our defender. God is our defender. And there are two questions that come under this category. Who shall bring a charge and who is he who condemns? Romans 8, 33 and 34. Let's look at the whole verses. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. We have here that Paul has now shifted to a scene of a courtroom. God is the judge. Satan is the prosecuting attorney, and Jesus Christ is the defending attorney. And Jesus Christ went to the cross, and he paid for your sins and mine, so that our sins are completely forgiven. That's half of the gospel. The other half of the gospel is, not only did he die for us, for our sins to be forgiven, he gave us His righteousness. So we stand in the righteousness of Christ alone. 
So no matter what charges Satan might want to bring up against us, no matter what things we've done, true that they may be, they're under the blood of Jesus Christ. We're forgiven. And our sins have been buried in the deepest sea. And as Corey Ten Boom says, a sign has been placed there that says, no fishing allowed. Our sins have been separated from us as far as east is from west. Praise God that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says that. Now let me tell you the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is when Satan tries to get you to feel badly about sins you've already confessed. Conviction is when you feel badly about sins you haven't confessed. So when you have conviction, the Holy Spirit loves you up, and then he specifically puts his finger on the area you need to confess. To confess means to agree with God. And you say, yes, Lord, I did that. I sinned. I agree with you that sin. I repent and turn from it and turn to you. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's conviction. But condemnation is that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And he wants to accuse you before God. He wants to accuse you through other people. And he wants to accuse you in your own mind. And every time he tries to accuse us, we should remind him of his doom. Because it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, that he'll be thrown in the pit. We are more than conquerors through Christ, who gave himself for us and who loves us. We're forgiven. We're completely pardoned. And we stand in the righteousness of Christ. We've been justified by God through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. And then last is this. God is our keeper. The question that raises this is, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ points to God being our defender. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, hypernikos, through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice something. 
Speaking about God being for you, Romans 8 begins with no condemnation and ends with no separation. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a great reassurance of how much God loves you? He doesn't condemn you, and nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. That's a beautiful thing. Charles Spurgeon was with a friend in the countryside, and he saw a weather vane, and the weather vane said, God is love. And the wind would blow the weather vane in different directions. And this upset Charles Spurgeon. He went to the door of the farmer and he knocked on the door. He says, what do you mean having a weather vane that says God is love that's being blown? Are you saying that God's love is capricious and it changes with the wind? And the farmer says, no. I'm saying that whichever way the wind blows, God is love. Whichever way the wind blows, God is love. Many of you have experienced very serious pain and heartache. You've lost a loved one. You've gone through marital difficulties and perhaps a divorce. You've struggled with uh, depression and and loneliness. Uh, Perhaps uh, you've been um, struggling with health issues. Maybe you know people who are facing even death who are Christians. What difference does this passage make for you and for your friends? Let's look at the summary. God is for us. He is my protector, my provider, my defender, my keeper. That's who the Word says God is. Will you believe what the Word says? Or will you believe what your feelings say? Will you believe what the Word says? Or in a time of trial and temptation, will you believe what the devil's trying to get you to think negatively of God? He came to Eve and said, can you eat all the fruit of the tree, uh, of all the fruit of the trees in the garden? Oh no, that's right. God's withholding. He won't let us eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see what the devil's doing? He's trying to get a negative thought about God into our heads. If you give uh, Satan a toehold, he'll get a foothold, then he'll get a stronghold, and then he'll get a stranglehold. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10.5 that we have weapons to tear down the strongholds of the devil, which are against the true knowledge of God. We are to take every thought that doesn't match with the Word of God as to who God is, captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. If that's not God, then we take that thought captive. God is not good? No, I take that thought captive. He can't be trusted? No, I take that thought captive to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know my God. He loves me with an everlasting love. I'm the apple of his eye. He's completely trustworthy. I know my Redeemer lives, said Job. And I have entrusted to him that which he will keep. The Lord's mercies are new every morning, so great 
is his faithfulness. And nothing, no, nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to participate with me by saying these four proclamations. Back to what the slide we were just at. Let's say together, in affirmation that God is for us, these four things. God is for us. He is my protector, my provider, my defender, my keeper. Do you believe that? What is your view of God? These three questions again, when we talk about these three questions, what does God think about you? He loves you. He's for you. He protects you. He provides for you. He defends you. He keeps you in the palm of his hand. And no one can snatch you out from his hands. God will sanctify you through and through body, soul, and spirit. He who calls you is faithful and he will do it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. How does God treat you? He treats you as a loving child. He loves you as a child of his. And what does God have for your future? No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God has in store for those who love him. Should the Lord uh, confirm our, my calling to serve you here? The first series I would like to preach, and this is all new stuff, not a, something I've preached before, is a series on Romans chapter 8. I think we need to go through Romans 8 and remind ourselves God is for us. Now let me just give you a spiritual growth assignment. This is not homework, it's a spiritual growth assignment. Did you know there's 18 inches from your head to your heart? How do you get what you know down to the experiential level. Let me tell you how. You memorize scripture and you meditate upon it. And your assignment for this week is to memorize these four words. God is for us. But I want you to personalize it and then meditate. How do you meditate? You put the emphasis on each word in turn. So first you say, God is for me. Think about that. God himself is in my corner. He loves me. He believes in me. He supports me. He helps me. He's with me. God himself is for me. God is for me. There's no doubt about it. I'm absolutely certain. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. God is for me. He actually is interested and active in my life, working around me all the time. God is for me, little old me. Me? What is man that thou art mindful of him? But you made him a, a little bit higher than the angels. I want you to meditate upon that one set of four words until it drops from your head to your heart. And the way to begin that 
is when you come to communion today. When you come to communion today, have a time of silence. Be thinking, God is for me, God is for me, God is for me. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.